Welcome to Be Bold America. I'm your host, Jill Cody, and happy Valentine's Day. Our program today is How Can We Move Forward from the Big Lie? Also today is Be Bold America's second birthday, and we're going to make a shift in programming and gain a co-host. We're not leaving politics behind. We have a crisis in politics that can't be ignored. We also have a crisis in acceptable character and principle-centered living that can't be ignored either. So, Be Bold America will be adjusting our focus to cultivating engaged citizens whose lives are politically active and personally meaningful. A bold, democratic America first requires bold, truth-informed, and principle-centered citizens. Our future depends on it. To join me to discuss these crises and how to create principle-centered and truth-informed citizens is Dr. Pettis Perry. Pettis will be co-hosting Be Bold America with me to interview guests on politics, social justice, and how listeners can live a more meaningful and principle-centered political and personal life. I'm very excited to have Pettis join the show because I've known Pettis since we met 20 years ago at San Jose State University. Over the years, we've been through the thick and thin of it together. <laughs> During the years, I've also known Pettis to be kind and caring, one who's demonstrated integrity in all he does, and to possess a deep passion for social justice. Plus, he's just plain fun. Happy Valentine's Day, Pettis. Welcome to your new role as co-host on Be Bold America. We have big things to do. Do we not have Pettis? Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to try to get Pettis on the clean feed connection. You know, Pettis lives in um, the wa Washington State, so we have a clean feed system that will connect him to directly to our studio, and so he can sound like he's just in, our, in the same room. How are we doing, Emily? Not too good. Okay. Um, one thing that I was going to ask Pettis, and when he gets online, I'm going to talk to him about why he wanted to co-host with me on Be Bold America and let him know what, let you know what he has in mind for being a co-host. But I'm also um, interested in talking about why I'm shifting the mission uh, to talking to people about principle-centered lives. And I don't really have a short answer for that, I'm afraid. So I'll begin by saying, you know, 74 million people voted for Donald Trump in 2020. And that number includes 1 million more than in 2016. And I thought, really? <laughs> I started asking myself a lot of questions. Why? Why, from his throwing Skittles to the German Prime Minister Angela Merkel at a World Summit meeting, to caging and kidnapping children from their parents. I, I couldn't understand why anybody would vote for that. And also the list of many destructive and devastating occurrences that has happened with our in our country these hey, last Jill. four years. Oh, there's Pettis. Hello. Oh, hey, Emily. That's okay. <laughs> Hi, I'll finish why I'm okay. talking about why I'm shifting the mission after I welcome you. I don't know if you heard me say Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Pettis. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. Um, so, you know, I was just telling people I was going to ask you when you did get on the air why you wanted to um, uh, join 
as co-host with me on Be Bold America. Are we on now? Yes, we are. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, there are lots of reasons, Joe. First of all, thank you for inviting me uh, to participate with you on this show. Um, you know, there's an old fundraising axiom that says people do things because of people. Uh, and the primary reason I'm here is because you asked me uh, to be on your show. You were gracious enough uh, to, uh, to make that offer. And I'm hoping that uh, based on our relationship, we'll have uh, really good conversations uh, and talk about dynamic uh, fixes for what's happening in our country. And I'm hoping that I can bring another perspective to the kind of work that you are doing. I hope uh, that I can make some contributions to the creation of kinder and gentler spaces. I want to contribute to the discourse regarding uh, the area of reimagining America. And most importantly, I want to be one of those voices who becomes a bulwark against uh, fascism, white supremacy, and discrimination, and for democracy, equality, and social justice. So as I, as I thought about that, that would uh, uh, summarize the kinds of things uh, that I hope to accomplish. Well, I'm very excited oh, about you. all of that. I'm, I'm very excited. We've known each other 20 years. Uh, we've always had some great conversations, and I just thought we'd... Uh, share them together um, for listeners. The uh, And I wanted to tell you why I asked you uh, to be a co-host. And it's for all those things. You know, it's, it's for your integrity. It's for your caring. It's for your passion for democracy and social justice. It's also your passion about trying to reimagine America and have good conversations that might uh, intrigue people and inspire people to think more deeply about their role as a citizen. But it's also because, um, you know, I'm a middle-class Caucasian female, and I don't know that I completely represent or understand, um, you know, all Americans' uh, challenges. And, and you being a male, uh, African-American, coming from... Um, uh, you know, a different, different upbringing in society. I thought we would make a good pair in trying to more completely understand what what Americans face and how to make Americans more bold and truth informed and principle centered. Pettis. Yeah, I think that that's a, a very important uh, thing to do. Uh, I was uh, stoked when you asked me and you talked to me about your vision uh, for, you know, creating a different kind of Be Bold America. Uh, and is there anything else you can talk about in terms of why you decided, uh, beside those things that you've already mentioned, uh, why you decided to make this shift with well, Be Bold America? Yeah, yeah I, I was uh, talking a little bit about my being so stunned that 74 million people voted for Trump in 2020, and that was a million more than voted for him in 2016, and I just, I was just, um, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was, I, I just, it's hard for me to believe that that many people uh, can support somebody that threw Skittles to, <laughs> threw Skittles at uh, German Prime Minister Angela Merkel and 
who um, cages and uh, children and kidnaps them from their arms and and the devastation that we've had with you know pushing 500,000 covid deaths from a plague that entered this country that he couldn't be bothered with yet they still voted for this depraved human being as president of the United States of America it just shocked me and so i wondered why is it that these voters cannot see who this unprincipled, characterless, corrupt president is, and why is it that they cannot see he is a ridiculous man, uh, not a clown, but a dangerous fascist. Uh, this is someone who you wouldn't tolerate in your family, you wouldn't tolerate as a friend, you wouldn't tolerate in your workplace, unless you don't know any better. Um, would you want Skittles thrown in your face, or let you die from neglect? I don't think so. Then why is it okay for a president who does this to our country? I, so all I can su assume is that those who support and continue to support who he is and what he stands for are either just like him or they just don't know any better. Then that leads to the question, how does one know better? And knowing better really is an inside-out job, and it's the hardest one. It's not easy to do. It requires us to be capable of self-reflection and even require letting go of childhood teachings and be courageous enough to ask questions such as, who am I? You know, what do I stand for? Where am I going? What principles do I hold as foundational to my being? And when I'm talking about principles, I'm talking about the moral definition of, of, of the word principle. So answering these questions for yourself not only lead to a more meaningful and compelling life, but lead to making better political choices for our republic. So that's one reason, Pettis. You have any thoughts while I was talking there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, life, from my perspective, is an inside-out process. Uh, as is leadership. I teach my students that before you start looking outwardly, you have to go inward and really explore what's going on internally, uh, asking yourself, what part of the problem am I? <laughs> and I, I think, you know, the people, as I watch the insurrection and listen to what was being said, uh, you know, they they have a set of grievances, but they've only learned violence uh, to resolve those grievances. Uh, you know, people in the civil rights movement uh, were beaten. Uh, some of them killed. Many of them uh, hurt, like John Lewis. Uh, Martin Luther King was killed, obviously. But their response is violence. And we have to get to a point where we can begin to talk with each other uh, about the things that are common between us uh, and then look at how we might be able to resolve our differences. But we cannot continue going along the path that we are, nor can we continue pretending as though such behaviors are okay. Uh, one of the things that Trump has done for us is he's completely exposed the things that have been undermining our, our union uh, since its founding, uh, we have a union that was 
are based in an idea of supremacy, uh, mostly white male supremacy. And we never resolved the race question. And right now, it is exposed as precisely the thing that we need to do. But no one can argue, I think, uh, that has any semblance of, of uh, neutrality uh, could say that, uh, that white supremacy doesn't exist uh, as they did prior to Trump being elected, nor can they say that we're not in danger based on uh, just completing a, 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 an impeachment process uh, because of what he's done. And we look at what McConnell did right after the impeachment process is he condemned Trump. But he did not have the courage to uh, to vote to convict him. And that's the problem, because it represents a dual system. And I don't think that anybody can uh, deny that any longer. You're absolutely right. It, it's not sustainable. I mean, I want people to understand this is not sustainable. The benefits that we have... Um, derived from a democracy all our life and uh, a civil society. Uh, this, what we're, we're experiencing now, is not sustainable to continue a civil society, and it is a breakdown of society. And in addition, you know, another reason why I wanted to make this shift in Be Bold America is in addition, a fascist autocrat won't succeed with enough, without enough authoritarian followers. I, I read that 73% of Republicans say it is important or someone important to be loyal to Trump, not America. So if we have three quarters of, the, of a party, you know, it's a, America has a two, democracy has a two-party, uh, functions with two political parties, and one of the political parties, three quarters of them say to be loyal to Donald Trump, not America. So to me, the entire Republican Party has now become an anti-democratic party. And authoritarian followers, I heard Justin Frank talk about, he's a psychiatrist who wrote Trump on the Couch. I heard him say that authoritarian followers are insecure people uh, who were raised by an authoritarian parent that could be a father or a mother or both. Um, and, and if they can recognize that they were raised by an authoritarian pa parent, they probably even more importantly need to self-reflect and ask themselves, what do I stand for? Not what versus, you know, what should I stand, do that my father or mother stands for, or what Donald Trump stands for. And let those people, their, their mother from the, or father from their childhood or Donald Trump, guide their decisions instead of principles guiding their decisions and thinking through who they are and, and how they want to present themselves to the world. So this 2020 election caused me to realize that we're never going to reunite this country when 40% of the Republican Party says that violence may be necessary for them to get what they want. Um, it's just fine to them. Uh, so, you know, that's what you were talking about with the violence. And, you know, enemies, you know, we Republicans see Democrats, 57% of Republicans see Democrats as the enemy. And 49% of uh, Democrats see Republicans as political opposition. So Republicans see Democrats as the enemy. We see the Republicans as a political opposition. And 
enemy versus political opposition have two very different outcomes that will happen with those two different perspectives. So we have a real, live, autocratic fascist movement in this country. A real, live, autocratic fascist movement in this country. And before I go on, I need to do a station identification. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. Listen globally online from the ksqd.org homepage. Catch up on Be Bold America shows by visiting the KSQD webpage or subscribe for free to the Be Bold America podcast using your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Hello, K-Squid listeners. I'm Tom Hartman, and each weekday at 4 p.m., I bring you a different perspective on the news than you're likely to hear on most media outlets. Please join me on KSQD Santa Cruz, your ink spot on the dial for the Tom Hartman program. Heard now for the first time ever in the Monterey Bay area at 90.7 FM, weekdays at 4 p.m. That's progressive talking conversation with me, Tom Hartman, weekdays at 4 p.m. on KSQD 90.7 FM. Tag, you're it. We're back, and today our topic is how can we move forward from the big lie. And before we, ju- we go into that very topic, Pettis, I just wanted to wrap up what I was saying, and that is that we all must reach out and challenge that 73% of the population who are only loyal to one man and not to America, and to know better and to realize when they're being drawn to destructive and repelling emotions such as fear, but to choose to live on the constructive and compelling side of life, the meaningful and principle-centered side of life. Or next time, we'll lose our democracy. We experienced a fascist coup attempt in America. We, as Americans, we cannot no longer be proud of our democratic principle of a peaceful transition of power because we didn't have one this time. And Ari Milberg, who's an attorney and also hosts a show on MSNBC, he said something that was, I thought, quite profound. And he said, a coup attempt without consequences is a training exercise. So I know it's a monumental task and probably one that won't be achieved in my lifetime, but we have to start somewhere. So that's why I thought Be Bold America, it shouldn't leave politics behind, but, but talk about the crisis in our politics that can't be ignored, but also that we have a crisis in character and, you know, to live in a civil society. So that's a lot. That's a lot, Pettis. Any thoughts there? Over to you. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I've got lots of thoughts about this, Jill, uh, as we've talked uh, prior to coming on air. Um, Authoritarians inflict pain. And autocrat, the term autocrat means self-rule. And autocrats are only concerned about their power and what they get out of it. Uh, They don't necessarily have to be narcissists, but typically I would suggest that they uh, tend to be insecure. Uh, It's kind of like the kid who grabs all of his toys and wants to dole them out the way that he wants them. Uh, And we know from the research that autocratic leadership is a failed leadership under most circumstances. Uh, You want autocratic leadership if you are training military in boot camp. Uh, That's because what you're doing is taking everything away from uh, your recruits and you're molding them into other ways of being. And autocratic leadership is one way to do that. The other area where that occurs 
uh, is in prisons, um, and where you're trying to control a population of prisoners. But I can tell you from my own observations uh, and my own work as a consultant that autocratic leadership, and the research backs this up, is a terrible form of, of leading, and it leads to infighting. Uh, whereas a more democratic form of leadership in which people participate in the decisions gives people the opportunity to at least be heard, even if they don't make the decision. Uh, so democratic forms of leadership prove to be much more productive. Uh, autocrats, uh, dictators are a type of autocrat. Uh, and if we look globally, we can see that these are mostly not necessarily exclusively, but mostly uh, backed by white supremacists. Uh, and I think that part of what we have to do is re-engineer our culture and uh, make white supremacy not okay. Uh, we need to deal with the idea of any human being superior over another not okay. Uh, and we need to get some semblance of an ability to be able to communicate more effectively so that grievances don't get resulted by gunpoint. Because at that point, uh, we'll continue to have anarchy, uh, we'll have civil war, and, you know, true destruction of the economy. And let me just say one more thing, Jill, uh, before I turn it back over to you. I recall Osama bin Laden saying that uh, America will destroy itself from within. And we can see the destruction that can be wrought when a people turn in on themselves, like we saw on January 6th. Now, I believe that Trump will eventually uh, pay uh, criminally uh, or in civil lawsuits, but I think it was the coward's way out when the Republicans, with all the evidence there and admitting it uh, openly, that the case was made, that they did not have the courage to vote to convict him so that we could have stood together, united in the fact that he was guilty. And I don't think that anyone who watched uh, any of, uh, of, the, uh, of, of the impeachment process in any serious way can say that he wasn't guilty. So, you know, there, we have a lot of work to do, but I'm encouraged, Jill. I really am, because for once we have the things on the table. And yes. it's time to keep them on the table in the light and begin to work on them one item at a time. Well, and, you know, the topic is how can we move forward from the big lie? And I think first, before we define the big lie, I, I just wanted to also point out to add what you're saying. Uh, is that if we don't have a democracy, what is what other forms of government are there? I think people need to start thinking about, you know, I love living in a democracy. I want our children to be able to live in a democracy. I want you to live in a democracy. People talk about freedom, freedom, liberty, freedom. Yet I don't think they understand that true freedom is being self-governed. That is a democracy. It is true freedom is not found under a monarchy or a dictator or authoritarian regime, which is what Donald Trump tried to create 
and those uh, Republicans who still wanted to overturn the fair and um, free election that we had, uh, that being self-governed is freedom. That is what a democracy is. So just to, to talk about the big lie, Pettis, what is the big lie? We have about five minutes till our break, but we can continue a little bit. But what is the big lie? Uh, in its most sim- the simple terms, it's that the uh, that there was election fraud, uh, which did not occur, and that became the basis uh, for the insurrection. Right, uh, stop the steal. Uh, so it was really based around uh, fraud that did not exist. I live in Washington State. Uh, we have all male elections. Uh, our Secretary of State is a Republican. And we don't have problems, and nor do the other states that use all-male systems. And there weren't any systems for the, or any problems for those states that uh, moved to mail ballots because of the pandemic. What's going to happen, though, and we've already seen it, uh, as Republicans keep using the term cancel culture and turn right around and uh, try to uh, cancel culture by suppressing the vote. That's the maximum cancel culture. When you do not allow people to exercise a vote that may run contrary to your own belief systems. And then we so swing right back to yeah, to the Republicans being an anti-democratic party, and that's another sign of it. That's exactly correct. And, and we're in trouble if we don't uh, come to grips with this. Uh, as I watch the news, it appears that the Republican Party is, uh, is a mess and is trying to figure out how they're going to uh, deal with those people that pay homage to uh, Trump. So, um, but that's a cult. Well, that's the, not a democracy. Right. And then the big lie, you know, the election was rigged. Uh, it would be, if he didn't win, that it was stolen. And so that's the next part of the big lie, is that it was stolen from the Republicans, and the Democrats stole it. So then it puts the Democratic Party into the enemy uh, uh, category again. But also there's another uh, part of that lie that leads you to, which is you can't support the current president because he's illegal, because it was stolen, because it was rigged. And doesn't that sound familiar with the message with Barack Obama? You know, that Barack Obama stole it, too. I mean, this has been going on for quite a while to delegitimize Democratic presidents. First, we thought it was just because there was an African-American president, but now it we have a... Um, a, cocaine, a white president, and it's still, he's still illegal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's part of the rhetoric, right? You make your opposition the enemy, and there's nothing to talk about because they're the enemy. Right. 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 Democrats want to debate, and as you noted, Republicans want power. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, those two things become diametrically opposed because to debate, uh, and to have a democracy means take. Means it, it means shared power. Means sharing it. Being, right. The Constitution says the loyal opposition, not the disloyal opposition. That's exactly correct. So you know, but that's that's the importance of shows like this, Jill, uh, where we can talk about these things in open discourse uh, to try to uh, you know shed light on uh, if that's the word for some people. Uh, to, you know, inform uh, maybe with new information that people haven't heard, 
Uh, so the this platform is a great vehicle, and I know uh, from you know listening to others across the country that you know these platforms are part of that bulwark system, right, to fight against uh, the overthrow of our government, which we came very close to. That's right. And I'm willing to bet had had more people. Uh, had, had Congress actually been breached, uh, and and if those uh, insurrectionists did what they said that they were going to do in terms of lynching Mike Mike Pence uh, and shooting uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know that this would be a, a, a different kind of conversation. But I question whether that would have been enough for Republicans. I wonder, and you so, know, there's also a convergence of big lies because. You know, there's a big lie about uh, things being the, the election being stolen, but the Second Amendment lie that uh, people ha- need to own guns so that they could overthrow their government that never was in the founders' minds or writings. That happened to come from a high school kid who wrote that lie in an article printed in the NRA magazine, and then it just developed into a widespread malicious movement. And then the lie about voter fraud. There is. No such thing as voter fraud. Even George W. Bush commissioned a study where they found 31 um, ballots out of 1 billion. That's a B, 31. And they were usually mistakes. So there's this multiplicity of big lies that come together. They come to converge. And I just wanted to mention before we go to break that the Washington Post had been counting since uh, Donald Trump's uh, presidency his lies. And there were 30,573. Uh, yeah. So Trump even lied about the rain. But then there's people that believe it. And that's why we need uh, more principle-centered, truth-informed um, uh, citizens. So uh, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Our topic is how can we move forward from the big lie. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, okay, Squid, happy birthday to you. I honestly didn't know how lost I was until you guys came back and found me. Oh, my gosh. How I get anything done anymore. All I want to do is listen to Case Squid every single minute of the day. That is a fun birthday, happy birthday message to uh, KSQD, because this is our, going into our third year, this is our second birthday, going into our third year. We're back, and now I'll turn it over to Pettis to introduce our guest. Pettis. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, I have the honor of introducing uh, someone that I know fairly well. Uh, he uh, used to be one of my neighbors. Uh, he moved a few miles uh, farther away. His name is Jeffrey Slough. Uh, Jeffrey is a teacher, a singer, and songwriter. Uh, he performs regularly with a great band called the Penny Stinkers. Uh, it's a local band here in Bellingham, Washington. Uh, and he always has uh, a message. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Bettis. How's my volume on that end? Am I doing okay? You're perfect. You're doing okay. Great. Happy Great. anniversary to you and Ray. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I've got 35 years we've been married. I'm very happy oh. about it. 
That that's awesome. I'm really glad you had a chance to join us today. And uh, please thank Ray for loaning you to us uh, for a little <laughs> bit on your anniversary day. She's sitting right behind me in the studio here, so that's uh, uh, she's she's with us as well. Thank you. I love it. Uh, how are you doing, Ray? I hope uh, all is good today. Uh, Jeffrey, I want to try to pick up here on uh, some of our conversation uh, about how we can move forward from the big lie. Uh, I, I want to uh, let our listeners know a little bit about a conversation you and I had about how artists tend to lead uh, revolutions, uh, if you recall that discussion. Uh, I do. Which is, you know, what, what prompted me to suggest uh, bringing you on the show. So do you have any thoughts about that before I ask you about uh, where we go from here? Well, I've, I've given it a lot of thought since we spoke because I, I think originally I, originally I think I was a little, I was a little uh, self-grandiose in that I believe that music and art were, were catalysts uh, for uh, social change. And, and social revolution, and the more I thought about it, I, I don't know if they're catalysts as much as they are signposts. Uh, I, I think that as as um, an artist whose whose music is oftentimes politically based, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not so self centered to think that anything that I perform is going to change anyone. But I think many times art allows us to transcend the obstacles of bias, uh, the obstacles of, of um, fear, and allows maybe a, a kind of signaling behavior to others that um, it's okay to, to open up, it's okay to believe this type of thing, it's okay to... Um, um, to make a connection, and and I think music and and art many times allows us to reach past that that natural bias and fear that some may experience, and allows those connections to happen, and and maybe maybe acts as as a a flag uh, to rally on, if that makes sense. Um, it does, and, and and maybe allows people to then um, um, adopt it as a as a as a fraternal um, uh, signpost, something that keeps them connected. So, um, I, yeah, I think it's I think it's integral, and I and I think it's something that is um, uh, prevalent in any uh, any kind of successful movement. I think you see a connection to um, to art and music for sure. Yeah, I've uh, been thinking about the question as well, and where I go back to is. Uh, what I grew up with, uh, which were what we called um, the slave songs or the Negro spirituals, and how those songs were used to actually communicate, uh, like about Harriet Tubman uh, being in the neighborhood, uh, and, uh, you know, what people had to do in order uh, to survive. And then I, I was thinking about what we saw on television with the uh, the uh, bus nearly being run off the road by Trump supporters and how they put uh, a fight song uh, to accompany that particular uh, event and how music uh, changes our feelings, that there is a connection between music 
and what we feel, uh, if not even how we think. Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, am I off base? No, I think you're right, but I think perhaps we need to first accept the the belief that a tool like like music, you know, and I always try to include, you know, I'm a musician, so everything to me, I, I kind of put through the frame of reference of, of music, but I think the same is true about art. I think that any any inspiring, powerful, emotional tool that can be used to rally uh, good people to good causes can be misused by those who are seeking to to do um, things that are that are perhaps you know uh, not so nice. Uh, you know they they've been used by if if we look at the history of totalitarianism and the history of Nazism, they, you know music was was used as a as a focal point in those movements as well. I mean uh, you know it's been often talked about when. Um, the Nazis were to use, were using uh, Wagner, for instance, or and as a as a as a theme to their to their movement. So I think it can be used. It can be misused just as just as effectively as it can be used. And I think it's incumbent upon um, upon those of us who consider ourselves enlightened or or consider ourselves part of that movement to be very respectful of that power, to be very respectful of that. Uh, ability to influence others. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I do work uh, in teaching around uh, uh, transformative learning, and one of the things that's talked about in the research is uh, attaching an emotion to something that you are trying to have somebody learn or a message, message that you want them to remember to remember or to, if you want to invoke a feeling. So if you think about uh, movies, for example, and if you were to strip away all of the, the music that accompanies the uh, movie, it would be a very different movie. It would feel very differently uh, as you were, um, you know, as you were going through the process of watching that film. Uh, so it is, you know, very, it's a very powerful tool. Uh, yeah, to, we've been trying to grab those emotional cues from the music, yeah. Yes, yeah. So let, let me ask you, uh, let's turn to the question that we have for this week's uh, show. How can we move forward from the big lie? I think you heard uh, uh, Jill and I talk a little bit about uh, the big lie and how we're, we're looking at it. What are your thoughts? Well, and, and I'm, and, uh, you know, Probably right up front, it's good to acknowledge that I, you know, I've got no grand answers, but I, I do know that, and I've, I've said this over and over again: complicated uh, uh, geopolitical problems are not going to be solved with bumper sticker solutions. Uh, they're they're complicated problems. They're they're difficult problems to overcome, and they're I think they're going to require um, complicated answers. But one thing that I can say that I feel very confident about is that these, what, what, we're looking at probably 47% of the people who voted in the 2020 election, they voted for Trump. Those people aren't going to disappear. They're still going to be there tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. So I think we as um, principle-centered humans have to make a decision as to what kind of relationship we're going to have with those people. And and we can we can brand them as enemies, but I think if we were to look at effective behaviors of the past, we're going to find that that's not going to beget anything but more conflict. 
I, I think that most of these people, too, we, we talked about what prompts, I think Jill even mentioned, you know, what would, what would prompt people to make these decisions? In my mind, those decisions are made because of fear, uh, either fear of, fear of loss, uh, fear of loss of status, fear of loss of, of uh, security, fear of loss of a way of life. And I think after they've, they've been, after that fear has been nurtured by people who are, who have ill intent, um, they begin to, to, to really grab onto this confirmation bias. And it's going to be very difficult for them to accept anything that does not um, agree with their existing state of mind. And for us to get past that, for us to, to get past that um, automatic response of, of negativity and conflict is going to be a struggle. I mean, and we get back to what we use music for. I mean, I, you know, I, I love being able to use music to get past that, um, that initial bias and, and kind of the defenses will, will fall away a little bit if, if I can appeal to someone with music or, or with art or anything. But we're going to have to, we're going to have to find a way to reconcile because half of the country is not going to just disappear and, and we can't, um, we can't pretend they're not there. So we're going to have to find a way to reach out. I, I oftentimes think about um, I, I, one of the things that I teach my students is about the uh, uh, Stephen Covey talked about a concept of the uh, circle of influence and the circle of awareness. Um, we're, the circle of awareness, of course, is everything that we perceive around us, things that we have no control over. And, and the circle of influence is a smaller circle. There's a cer- circle of things that we can do something about. And people who are constantly uh, focused on those things that they can't do anything about become frustrated, they become scared, they become angry, and they become irrational. Uh, and until we can get people to concentrate on those, the, the more narrow focus of things that you actually can influence, um, that's where change occurs. Change occurs. We feel more confident. We feel like, you know, we're, we're being effective, and that circle can grow, and we can influence more things. Uh, I would say that as, as progressive humans, I think it's incumbent upon us to look around us. You know, is there something that we can do that we can influence directly that will have a change in our immediate world? And concentrate on that. Is is the guy across the street that scowls at me every morning? You know, maybe it, maybe it takes going over and and telling him good morning and, and showing him that you know we we probably share a great deal of um, uh, of beliefs. You know, we disagree on some things, sure, but I think we can find common ground on things. Maybe break down that that uh, uh, that wall of non communicative behavior. And, and uh, begin to influence them, you know, maybe they're never going to be progressives, maybe, but I think we can probably find some common ground. You're listening to yeah, Be think- Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. Listen globally online from the KSQD.home page or listen to the show's podcast at KSQD, Be Bold America's website. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Buddhism. Judaism, Baha'i, Islam, Christianity, Hinduism. Sound interesting? Faith Matters is a unique bi-monthly program that explores spirituality, life, and meaning with local religious leaders. We discuss areas of common ground and also identify distinct differences among diverse spiritual perspectives. 
Join us on the second and fourth Sunday evening of every month from 6 to 7 as we have thought-provoking conversations about Faith Matters on 90.7 KSQD. If you're just joining us, our topic is how can we move forward from the big lie? And we're speaking with Jeffrey Slough. Jeffrey is a teacher, singer-songwriter, and performer. For over 40 years, Jeffrey has used music and storytelling to entertain, educate, and motivate from the stage and the classroom. And Jeffrey, I wanted to say hi and and happy anniversary to you and Ray. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. And, you know, you were just uh, talking about fear, and what came up for me about that was that there are now people who've learned how to monetize fear to make a profit, and so that's where... Fox News comes in, and Breitbart, and, um, you know, the other right-wing uh, radios uh, or TV stations and all the radio stations, they've monetized it. They, they understand fear sells, and that is something that we also have to, comp- you know, try to deal with as well uh, and get, get more trust, people listening to more trustworthy uh, information. You're also speaking my language about Covey because I'm a former you know, licensed Covey facilitator, and and the circle of concern, um, and you call awareness and circle of influence, are just perfect in this conversation. Uh, we're concerned about the, these things, but what are we going to do about it as individuals? But I, I wanted to ask you um, personally, uh, what does a principle-centered life mean to you? Wow. Well, uh, I, I think it means that when I'm when I'm faced with a decision, a dilemma, I normally know, know what I should do. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's that sense of, uh, is it, it's difficult to make a decision sometimes, but I believe in most cases we know what the right thing is. It's just that sometimes we struggle with the courage that it takes to do the right thing. Uh, years ago, for instance, I was um, I, I used to be in the, uh, I was in a beverage distri- distributing business uh, in Southern California, and I, I sold, I distributed um, uh, alcohol to stores and uh, liquor stores throughout Southern California, and, and uh, um, I made good money at it. It was very profitable. I felt as if it was uh, a business that was growing, but inside of me there was always this this feeling about, is this is this right? Is this something that I, I should feel good about doing? And uh, I one day I was actually, uh, I went to see a client of mine, and, and um, uh, as I stepped out of the car, on the, on the sidewalk was a baby laying on directly on the sidewalk, Whoa. no clothes, crying. And I was struck. I was, I, was, I was just dumbfounded. I couldn't move for a minute. I didn't know what to do. And then I thought, well, I'll just I'll run inside the store here, and I will, um, I'll, I'll tell them to call 911. I'll tell them to call somebody to help. So as I ran in the store and I, and I hailed the, the owner of the store, was at the counter, and I, I figured out after a few moments, at the counter was the mother of the child who had left the child outside on the sidewalk, and she was at the counter, and guess what she was buying? Hmm. My product. Oh, wow! <laughs> she was the product that I put on the shelf that I had that I had promoted, and I'm not I'm not telling you, you know, I'm not a teetotaler, and I'm not telling you that that particular product is bad. But I'm I'm saying that I had to make a decision at that point: is this how I want to be? Do I want to look my kids in the eye 
and tell them that I'm, you know, uh, that this is the kind of person I am. This is the product I, I promote. This is the lifestyle I promote. And it was a tough decision, but I came home and I told Ray, my wife, I said, I'm quitting. <laughs> and it was, um, it was probably the hardest decision that we had ever made uh, in, our, in our lives at that point because it, it, it for all intents and purposes, uh, uh, crippled us financially. Um, because I, I decided that I needed to do something that I was going to be proud of that was a, a principle-based lifestyle. And I, uh, I quit corporate and um, walked away from it, and I went into education, and I started teaching. That is uh, just, te- that is just a high school I graduated from, as a matter of oh, fact. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> um, you know, that is a perfect inside-out self-reflection story, and that's why it's so hard that what you did was very difficult, and it also included your wife, which makes it a whole other layer of being difficult oh, yeah. than when you're single. Uh, but that is a, a perfect story on how a principle-centered life starts with an inside-out, self-reflected reflection moment. You know, in the next few minutes, Jeffrey and Pettis, I, I put this both, to both of you, is with the, with the discussion we've had um, um, for the next seven minutes we've got, for the discussion we've had, what can um, listeners Keep doing, stop doing, start doing. What could be their takeaways? Pettis, did you want to kick that off? Sure. Uh, I think uh, Jeffrey touched on a very important point when he talked about fear Mm -hmm. uh, and people being driven by fear. Uh, And what I think we have to do is to uh, keep working with people uh, so that they can understand that, they lose nothing by having a society that is fairer, uh, where people can uh, live uh, with some semblance of equality. Uh, and I think that that's a tough thing for people uh, to work towards. But if we don't believe that people can change, then we, you know, then the question becomes: Do we keep doing the work that we're doing? So I believe in the capacity of people to grow and change. Uh, In terms of stop doing, I think we need to stop celebrating white supremacy. Amen. Uh, And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, really come to grips with the the idea that one person is superior to another based on some socially constructed norm uh, or idea. Uh, And the thing that I think we need to start doing is to uh, to embrace people who are not like us. So as Jeffrey uh, was talking about the, the, the percentage of people that are pure Trump supporters, uh, we have to embrace them. They're our brothers and sisters. We may not like how they come across, but they're still our brothers and sisters. Jeffrey? Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I think if I were to if I were to be able to wave a magic wand and communicate with everybody, uh, I would say pick something to do today that's going to make the world or going to make your world. Doesn't have, not the whole world. You can't change the whole world as an individual. I don't believe you need a team. You need a village. But I think look at your world. What can you do today to make that world a less little less confrontational, a, l- a little more um, 
more progressive, a little more understanding. And if that means talking to someone who doesn't look like you or who doesn't believe like you, and you know, I'm, I'm. It's rough for me too. I have a tendency to love uh, uh, telling somebody why I'm right and they're wrong, and that I'm afraid that doesn't that doesn't always win the battle for us. We have to reach out. We have to be willing to. And it's tough. We got to be willing to listen. Uh, we got to be willing to listen when you need to be listening, and, and not not be so quick to tell everybody they're wrong. Um, but that that's what I would hope that we would learn to just reach out. In your world, in your village, in your neighborhood, in your street, what's the one thing you can do to make it a little better than it was yesterday? Well, and you're ta- you mentioned uh, Stephen Covey, and what he talked about is be the first listener. <laughs> you know, when we talk about listening, is be the first listener. Uh, we all yeah. want we all want to talk first and um, be understood, but nobody seems to want to be the first listener. So that's a very good point. And Jeffrey, you're also talking about. You know, pick something today, and that's how meaningful lives are created. You pick something that's important, uh, that impacts and inspires and is constructive, not destructive. Uh, that's what creates a meaningful life. Pettis? No, I agree with that, Jill. Um, you know, life is our choice. Our lives, in the end, are a, a culmination of all the decisions that we've made. So anything that we're doing today, we can change tomorrow if we have enough will to do it. So it's it's being open. It's being it's being open to the fact that something different needs to occur. And if you can get to that point and have the courage, uh, then I think you can move forward constructively and do so fairly quickly uh, in terms of bringing about uh, a change. You know, it's easy to be courageous when there's no price to pay. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to be courageous when there's going to be a cost. And, you know, people have to make that choice, you know, whether they are going to be uh, courageous uh, and bold and try to do the things that, um, that we may be afraid to do. We have to be willing to take the first step is what I'd like to say when I do my diversity work and talk about uh, crossing boundaries. I'm okay. You know, I'll take that first step uh, and work with people as long as they're interested in working uh, towards something that we can all agree to. I think that's so profound, Pettis, what you talked about, courage, um, and then if it has a cost, it's even more difficult. And I was thinking underneath surviving that cost to me is um, – Based on principles, you know, if you're going to allow as a person something to happen, uh, the Republicans allowed uh, democracy to be further damaged because their cost was their their thoughts of their future career and they couldn't stand up for it. So they couldn't stand up for the country or for democracy. That wasn't a principle to them. Their principle was their reputation and their reelection and uh their ideology or whatever else it was, but it certainly wasn't uh, standing up for the country. So, Jeffrey, thank you so much. Uh, I know Pettis and us uh, and myself, we just loved talking with you, and we're really happy you could share an hour of your wedding anniversary with us. And happy anniversary and a happy Valentine's Day to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Pettis. Thank you, Jeffrey. My pleasure. 
I want to thank Be Bold America's program engineer, Emily Donham, and Howard Feldstein, KSQD's program director, and give another big thank you to today's terrific and bold guest, Jeffrey Slough. And to you too, Pettis, uh, for your bold and impressive co-host gig, your first gig on Be Bold America. Well, thank you, Jill. And uh, you were the one that was bold. You took a chance on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be meeting on air again in two weeks, and we can just con- continue this boldness. <laughs> Coming <laughs> next on Sunday, February 28th, Be Bold America will host Steve Behrman. Steve is an author and humorist who spent the past 30 years writing and performing in the guise of the cosmic comic Swami Bhyanananda, who's able to channel Bullwinkle the Moose. The Swami's comedy has been described both as comedy disguised as wisdom and wisdom disguised as comedy. Steve has always been a political solutionary, looking to apply what he learned about holistic health to the body politic. Join us Sunday, February 28th at 5 p.m. You're listening to KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. Many voices, one station. Listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. Stay tuned for uh, Faith Matters with Seth Shapiro. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. My name is Jill Cody, and I'm here with Pettis Perry. Thank you for listening to Be Bold America. Until next time, keep stop start. <laughs>